As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the podcast, formerly known as the Lot of Dudes Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and Armchair Media, Season 4, Episode 1. After a long summer break, we are officially back on the air. And I'll tell you what, we are in the middle of an absolute whirlwind right now. The fate of college football as we know it is hanging in the balance, and the likelihood of a season actually happening continues to change on an hourly basis. But one thing we do know is that the Boston College Eagles are ready to play, they want to play, and they're passing COVID tests left and right at a 100% clip. On today's episode, we'll try to cover it all from the current state of college football including the official cancellations by the Big Ten and the Pac-12, the new ACC schedule coming out, the Jerko-Gate saga finally coming to a conclusion, the Adazio situation going on in Colorado, and finally, most importantly, what to expect in Chestnut Hill this season, assuming there is one. Boys, that's a a long list, uh, to say the least, but we're definitely in uncharted territory. As of recording, like you said, Matt, Big Ten, Pac-12 postponed. There's a good chance even more gets announced by the time you guys are all listening to this, but for now, in this moment, Halfley and the gang are doing an amazing job controlling this virus, and we're about a month away from a scheduled Boston College football game, which is a very, very exciting thing. We got Sean Sylvia back with us again this week to talk a jam-packed off-season episode, but before we get to everything, just a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing. Hockey playoffs are electric every night, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Bet Online has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expensive and expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up to date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet online, your online wagering experts. With that in mind, I guess let's let's just talk about the sports that we're going to hopefully be able to bet on uh, this fall. Sean, what is your confidence that we'll be able to use Bet Online to make some money on the Eagles soon? We playing or what? I hope so. I absolutely think that the um, you know overall the overall landscape right now is that we're not going to play, but I think that hopefully the SEC and the ACC can drive at least some sort of semblance of a season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think just to be like very clear from our perspective and the fourth and dude perspective, we are very aware of the you know dangers of the virus taken seriously. We've been all about the wear a mask for months now. Matt's married to a doctor, so he's basically a doctor. 
So we're in no way of like the Clay Travis camp of like, it's just not a big deal. It's just the flu, play football, whatever. But with that said, there's absolutely like a middle ground that we can do this safely and with uniformity. But, you know, apparently the NCAA is just terrified of exploring any options. And I think BC is the perfect example. What is it, Matt, now? Like back to back to back to back weeks of 164 tests and zero positives. Like let's just make Halfley the czar of, of NCAA uh, medical science. That seems like the logical conclusion. Um, you know, you're seeing schools that have a good process in place, like BC obviously does. I think Notre Dame's done really well. Uh, you have some schools down south that haven't been as successful, but and I don't want to say the the, the word herd herd immunity uh, just yet, but it does seem like there is a way to beat this thing. And maybe not beat is the right word, but there's a way to adapt to the situation. And so hot off the presses right now, we know that the Big the Big Ten's done, the Pac-12 is done. Just as that news is coming out. You know, we're also seeing news come out of the ACC that's basically saying, well, wait a second, it's actually safer to be, you know, in these locker rooms and being tested twice a week. And, um, you know, all the precautions that are being, you know, that are taking place right now, as opposed to what's going to happen without football. And that's sort of the unknown. And, you know, the report came out earlier that that the Big Ten spent much of today starting to figure out what the contingency plan was, you know, with the cancellation of football. And, you know, hanging in the background of all this is, you know, people are still like school's still happening. People are still going to go to class, whether virtual or not. They're going to be in the dorms. There's going to be germs everywhere. And, you know, I think it just seems like a, a massive lack of leadership. Um, and, and, you know, we're certainly, you know, we want everyone to be safe. That's the priority. But to me, it's just uh, it's somewhat unfathomable that we're at this point. Like this hasn't been coming for the last six months. Yeah, I agree. And I, Sean, I'd like to get your thoughts on my uh, solution here. So I texted you, Matt, this the other day, but I think it kind of is is the winner. Basically, you again, you're doing testing multiple times a week before and after the games. And there's a certain threshold that you set for each school. And you say, all right, if you get above, you know, pick whatever number you want. Five kids are, are positive at a time. That's it. We're shutting you down, that school down for the season. I think what that does is like put the responsibility essentially on the players to control what they can control, not be irresponsible, not be, you know, going to bars that they don't need to be going to, whatever. Because I think, and again, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there is an element of like, whether it's brotherhood or whatever of, I don't want to be the guy who is, you know, going to that party on Foster Street, because then I'm going to ruin, you know, the season for for me and my teammates. Like, is that enough of a, you know, of of an encouragement, basically, to have guys do do this the right way? Absolutely. So I I think just uh, for a player's perspective, um, if you truly want to play, you do adhere to those guidelines. I believe like that, um, you know, that solution that you came up with, um, maybe you could, you know, up the bottom line there, maybe the 10 guys, right. Um, which would leave you at, I believe, I don't know how many they travel with. I think you travel with 60 something guys. So that would, that would put you, you know, right under 20%. So I believe like that could if you have you know 10 guys that it would cancel a season um because at that point you're just saying you really really don't care and just piggybacking off of that you know i I saw a video with coach day today and i agree um you know the the safest place right now for these guys is having a very regimented schedule you know playing in the football facility all summer they've had limited exposure um whether it's been state mandates to be outside of that building these guys have been tested multiple times they're going you know to the classrooms where primarily they are, whether it's virtual or, you know, in the summer, they're only exposed to each other, which who haven't been exposed to the outside world, really. So during summer, they're lifting, they're running, they're doing everything together. So the limited exposure outside is making them inherently safer, especially with, um, 
with the outside tests. Now with the Southern schools, it's a little different because the mandates of each state um, are a lot looser. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if the SEC with, you know, what's going on today and the ACC go ahead and make some sort of hybrid with poaching bigger name schools, like the likes of Penn State or, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, et cetera, that could operate as, you know, their own entity, if you will. And, you know, because they still want to play. I just don't know if you start mixing and, and matching, what's that going to look like? But you could definitely see the landscape of college football changing right before our eyes. It was such a, it was such a circus yesterday when, you know, the Big Ten commissioner seemingly went rogue, right? He basically said, yeah, we're probably not going to play. And then there was this, you know, public outcry on Twitter. And you saw guys like, you know, start with Trevor Lawrence, but then, you know, it was also Ryan Day. It was James Franklin. It was Harbaugh. It was you know, these influential people, you know, that are part of the Big Ten that are saying, we're going to fight this. We don't believe in this. We disagree with it. Nebraska came out and said, guys, we're going to go find a different conference. Like, we don't need the Big Ten. We're going to play football no matter what. And it just goes to show you, like, no one knows what they're doing. And it's just, it's crazy that you don't get the buy-off of the people that actually matter within your conference before you go and make a statement. I know there's a lot of, you know, there's a there's a dynamic here with the presidents and, you know, there's conflicting interests with, you know, the word liability scares everyone, right? Like, what if a student dies type of thing, right? And, and you know, that that is pretty much the end of college sports as we know it potentially, right? But it just seems to me that the ACC and the SEC sort of have this right where we're not jumping any conclusions and, you know, we're going to play this thing out and, you know, our schools for the most part are doing the right thing. And, um, you know, this, we just released the schedules a few days ago and now all of a sudden with no real fact pattern, you know, that's changed, you know, we're going to go ahead and cancel it. You know, it just doesn't really make sense. So I don't know, Sean, I, I guess if you were, you know, put yourself in the shoes of Brandon Sebastian or Mike Palmer right now, um, and I know it changes for everyone and, and all sorts of people have, you know, underlying conditions and, you know, all sorts of different situations, but, you know, you probably want to, you probably lean towards wanting to play, right? Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. So it all, I mean, this is, this is from a personal standpoint, like for me personally, I'd want to play. I would take every necessary precaution beforehand. I would definitely not see friends, family. I mean, not, not necessarily friends, but definitely family. Like my parents are a little bit older. I would definitely knock off the exposure, but I would want to play especially with, you know, young adults that are going out there that I'm competing against, as long as they're getting tested and doing the necessary precautions, I would want to play, especially being, you know, given the chance of, okay, you know, me personally, I don't think I can get drafted, but with a watered down league with less teams, maybe I could put myself in the conversation with, you know, only 30 teams playing or less. Maybe get in the conversation of, of getting drafted and making, you know, sneaking in there and making that money, you know, inversely, I believe somebody like a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, etc., they don't benefit of playing because if you push it to the spring, you're making, you know, you're making a one season problem, a two season problem, because you're going to go ahead and play in the spring and have this quick turnaround again to OTAs and the draft and all that. It just, the body just can't take that. So it obviously depends on the first, if you're a first round grade, you know, if you're a junior going in, you know, rising junior or, uh, you know, rising senior, if you're, in that, if you're in that first round grade, I do not play. If I'm that person, if I'm a Trevor Lawrence, there's no way I am playing and compromising the, you know, an injury or anything like that, uh, putting myself at risk. Um, if I'm a second or third rounder, I'm definitely playing just because for the simple fact that I can, I can sneak into the first round if these guys opt out. 
I can show out and just absolutely go nuts and, and maybe get in that conversation and make a couple million bucks uh, more than I would have if I was in the second or third round. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that makes a ton of sense. And like you said, the whole moving it to the spring season, the problem that comes with that, I think it's very clear then from the president's perspective who are advocating for the spring postponement is that it's really not a, a safety issue of the you know student athletes. This is you know, really a liability issue, like moving this to the spring and having two seasons in a year, I think will cause more, you know, career ending injuries and other, you know, terrible things. But this is absolutely a, again, a liability issue, the optics of playing, if that were to result in, you know, a severe illness, death of a student, God forbid, or a staffer, I mean, that would be crippling, like you said, Matt, to, you know, college athletics as a whole. And it's a huge risk that the vast majority of schools who are, you know, not necessarily in the football office are, are willing to take. So, you know, I, again, like I said, I think you could very easily just implement a uniform, strict testing protocols, but the NCAA is clearly not, you know, willing to step up here for whatever reason. So I, I foresee this being the Big 12 kind of being a swing vote if they go the the way of, of postponement. I think it will be really hard for just the ACC and the SEC to, to move forward. Again, unless, you know, like we said, you get Ohio State and you get Michigan to kind of go rogue. But I mean, the reward is is huge. On the other hand, if you're one of the 30 programs playing, you get that exposure uh, you get a whole new batch of fans down to recruits paying attention. But, you know, again, the the risk of it all is where, you know, Leahy and these other presidents might might pull the plug. So, I mean, we'll see. My personal prediction is is the season starts for BC, but it's shuttered within, you know, a month, a month and a half just because we, you know, break whatever uh, kind of imaginary thresholds we want to say, whether it's a, a breakout of, of one or two teams. But uh, I would be shocked if even for both the ACC and the SEC, we actually run through a full season. Here. I think you're more, way more optimistic than, than I am. I just, I Oh, I agree. That's my optimistic guess. 100%. I can't see a world where it's just the ACC and the SEC and maybe the big 12. I mean, it would be, I think it'd be really cool. Um, it would suck obviously for the big 10 and the PAC 12 and um, it would set them back years with, you know, the revenue and, you know, especially, I guess the big thing is, you know, the optics, right? If something horrible happens in the SEC exactly. and the ACC forge ahead, that is just awful. And I don't, I don't even know what happens at that point. But like you said, there's only 30 teams. It's kind of like how you and I got big into the Bundesliga when there was the only sport cooking. That's it's right. like, you got to pick exactly a team. Right. And who's a, I'm a big Dortmund guy. We also like uh, uh, the I'm Red Bulls. I'm a Red, Bull, a Red Bull guy because I got yeah. a couple USA guys. I got a couple right. teams there, Matt. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, you go with the, the, the USA guys. Exactly. But anyway, you know, there's only 30 teams. By the way, all you have to do to get ranked in the top 25 is beat out like Vandy and Arkansas and Syracuse and Duke and Georgia Tech. You're in. You're, you're a ranked yep. football team. I think this is honestly best case. I think all the focus is on BC. We might go to the Orange Bowl at, at you know coming in at, at six and four. Uh, you know? Hey, higher expectations. The the Rose Bowl. If there's no Pac-12 and no Big Ten, True. the Rose Bowl is is up for grabs. I'll it's just say good, that much. It's a good point. Yeah, it would definitely help our recruiting. Um, you know, getting some guys that we wouldn't get just because we you know could definitely swing them to come to us because they would play. And just seeing just seeing BC more uh, week in and week out would just give them more you know of an idea of what it even is. And I know like even in the southeast, not a lot of people even know that BC plays in the ACC. Sadly enough, so maybe getting them out there would be would be great. But as you guys alluded to, any sort of sickness or uh, injury, death, anything like that. Um, Long term effects. You know, we had Eduardo Rodriguez from the Red Sox who got a heart condition from it. You know, young, strong guys are getting some long-term effects. That's also something to, you know, 
put in there, but you know, there's a risk of tearing an ACL. There's a risk of doing that. So gee, there's a lot of risk playing football in and of itself. Um, this is just an added one, but the effects long-term could be, uh, you know, catastrophic and for the school itself. Right. So I, on, I guess this, this note still of, if we do play kind of what it looks like, uh, I would love Sean from a, from a player's perspective, your opinion on two things. One, what it will be like playing in empty stadiums, because I think even if we play, there is no chance there are fans in the stands, at least at home. And the second one would be these new, like, I guess they're spit guards that they've put into place, but it's basically we're playing like space helmets now. It's a full clear visor. Is there any effect uh, positively or negatively, I guess? Or is it just, you know, tough to breathe? Or like, what does that, what does that look like there? So, you know, for your first question, playing in an empty stadium, I would personally love it because there's going to be no communication issues. Maybe, you know, no, not no communication issues, but less. So if you're going down to Clemson, you know, it's going to level the playing field a little bit just because you can hear snap counts. You can hear, you know, communication going on. So as far as home field advantage, I think that definitely kind of doesn't go by the wayside. You have to travel and do all that. But as far as going down to a hostile environment, you know, an LSU, a Clemson, um, Georgia, if you're in an empty stadium, the whole point of those stadiums is the, you know, how loud and obnoxious those fans are. And if you get like the whole, the thing that's the beauty of college football is, you know, people get rattled. It's nervous. It's just, there's so much going on and you can't hear. And there's just so, you know, things happen so quickly that if you play in an empty stadium, it's going to completely level the playing field. It's going to really be more of a chess match. I think less mental mistakes on, you know, miscommunications or guy run, breaking off a route here and there that they didn't hear. It's, I think it'll be a cleaner game. But I think for players, some guys like that adrenaline and whatnot. I personally, I, I think when I got riled up, I was a lot worse player um, than when I was more calm and composed. You know, got the calls and just kind of played within myself. Well, well, just to just to jump in. I mean, not to mention that you know, BC. Not to not to you know throw any shade on our attendance issues, but, you know, obviously, you know, Chestnut Hill is, is not a stranger to um, less than full stadiums. So it might favor teams like BC and Wake and maybe UVA and schools like that that don't have that home field advantage really to begin with, and especially a place like, you know, that's just outside of Boston, um, you get that weather. and Maybe, you know, you don't have that adrenaline pumping and it doesn't warm you up, right? And crowd's not as raucous, so you come out sleepwalking a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm extrapolating here, you know, a bunch, but from my, you know, high school soccer days, which is not relevant at all to, <laughs> to what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, there's certainly potential there that this helps us more than it hurts us, uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as far as visors, I know that I particularly didn't like visors just for – because one, like when it was really, really hot, like sweat all over me, constantly cleaning, it got like really, really blurry. I just opted not to have one. I had one in high school just for aesthetics. I thought it looked cool, but I could not. I mean, it's it's hot. It's, you know, it's, it's really humid. I cannot imagine going out there and wearing a shield over your face, like where the, you know, the bottom section. I just feel that'd be impossible to breathe. It's, oh, you're already huffing and puffing. I wouldn't you know, for, for the life of me have, I, I, I do not envy these guys out there right now, you know, dog days of summer with a face shield on, it's just probably impossible to breathe. They're probably sucking wind out there, you know, from an already, already different dynamic for their summer workouts. Um, I don't imagine these guys are in any shape right now and they definitely have to get acclimated to the helmets and wearing the pads and stuff. 
adding that facial shield um, is definitely not going to be uh, advantageous to your breathing and, and wind. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if we are lucky enough to get college football, I think there's going to be, I don't want to call it an asterisk because I actually think BC is going to have a good year, but mm-hmm. this will not be a, a traditional uh, a traditional setup by any means. But I guess with that, we can actually talk about the possibility of looking ahead and what you know, this squad will look like. So yeah, and uh, I, can't me, wait I don't know for, if you want to kick it off on the, on the transfer side of yeah, things. And I can't wait for this whole episode to become obsolete before we even release it and this <laughs> thing gets canceled, but let's go ahead and analyze some of the recent events as if there is going to be a football season. Let's stay positive. Why not? The first thing we should touch on that feels like it was a lifetime ago, but I think it was just last week is the eight month long Phil Jerkovich saga Jerkovic. Jerkovic. I, I call him Jerkovic, Matt. I so. kind of do too, man. It's really hard, but officially it's Jerkovic. And we'll call I, him I'll Jerkovic. Do my best to it. Yeah, that works. So you guys all know the story. Uh, he transferred from Notre Dame sometime in mid-January. There was eight months that went by, not a peep from the NCAA. Um, no one knew what was going on. And, you know, there's a few of us on, on social media that said, hey, guys, what what the heck? You know, at some point you guys should make a decision. There was a lot of conspiracy theories that turned out to be somewhat true if you believe my Notre Dame insider that Brian Kelly did actually have something to do with holding up the waiver. But anyway, that all ended last week. Phil Djokovic officially approved, will be in the mix, uh, and will be able to compete for the starting quarterback job. Along don't, with crowd guy, like don't, don't crowd him. I like that. Don't crowd him the starter. All right. Hey, he's got to win the job. And Danny, Dalen, what's the other guy's name? Dalen Menard? Dalen Menard is an asshole. stud. Yeah. Uh, Matt, we'll get into it. Matt Valach, it's a talented QB room. There's a lot of weapons, Sam Johnson. So he's going to compete. He's not going to be anointed the starter, although reports early look pretty good. But anyway, uh, let's just get into how ridiculous the waiver process is. I think there's you know, there's yep. no surprise there. I think we all know that you know the waiver process is, is going to become obsolete probably as soon as next year. There's going to be a one-time transfer rule in effect. Um, and as I mentioned... Brian Kelly is just the worst person alive. I mean, you can trust he really what he is. did, allegedly holding up the waiver, compared to what Ryan Day did with Jalen Gill, who did everything he could, by all accounts, to expedite Gill's waiver. And, you know, it was a couple months, right, as opposed to the eight-month process. So just just incompetence by the NCAA, Brian Kelly doing Brian Kelly stuff. But the point is, Jerk is freed, and we have what could be a very, very good quarterback. Yeah, I agree. And I want to give a shout out to BCD as well, who kind of did spearhead this. Started with like a few tweets a few months ago and snowballed into getting national exposure from guys like uh, Tessator, Jay Billis, etc. All kind of the, the the usual suspects who come out anytime there's a case around the NCAA just being an absolute incompetent moron. So I do think that made a, le- a legitimate impact, but it was pretty cool to see the entire program. You know, normally I feel like it's a situation where you know, you're trying to pro- you know, probably kind of toe the party line, but the entire program just had the lid off on kind of going at the NCA with the hashtag free jerk and everything like that. So uh, shout out to to everyone who really got involved and and uh, got him free, because I agree. I think the, it would be very easy for the NCA to just cower to, to Brian Kelly. Terrible guy, Brian Kelly. And, you know, but fortunately, we made enough noise that we now have a, a very legitimate quarterback added to our QB room. I'm going to I'm going to play a little bad cop here. I mean, if you're Brian Kelly, are you going to let a high four star four star recruit with that skill set easily just walk away from your program to an on paper rival? And how would that look for him, you know, playing him this year? You know, if we you know, if we indeed get to play him going in there and him, you know, having some chip on his shoulder and we go beat. So, I mean, as, as a, as a Notre Dame alum, I mean, I would want <laughs> coach Kelly to do everything in his power, not to 
just hand over a star quarterback to, you know, their rival. It's funny you say that because I always think, and we, it's fun to dump on Brian Kelly for all sorts of reasons, but if the shoe was on the other foot, I would say, screw that. We're not helping Notre Dame, you know, get Anthony <laughs> Brown, right, or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. You know, we should do everything Correct. in our power Absolutely. as part of the rivalry or whatever. So it is funny when you think of it from that lens, but in the meantime, you know, Screw Notre Dame and they're the worst. But there is an element, too, that, like, if I'm Brian Kelly, like, you have to be kind of terrified that he comes out and lights it up, right? Like, because then if I'm a Notre Dame fan, why did I let this guy – I mean, like, I would love to think it's at this level, but let's assume it's probably not going to be. But if you're Joe Burrow and you let Joe Burrow walk away, like, how how dumb do you feel as a head coach to say, I I had him literally in my quarterback room and I let him walk to to a national championship and a Heisman and everything else? So the ceiling is high for Jericho. But even if he just is, like, a a very competent ACC quarterback – I mean, Notre Dame, I think, is certainly not without, you know, kind of bad quarterbacks here and there. So it's it is a little bit of a of a big risk. And I, I kind of am with you. I understand why he would do it. But at least from everything we read, it is like so far against the grain to in any way hold up these transfers. If you're a coach again, like Ryan Day sticking his neck out for Jalen yep. Gill is apparently like the norm. Like that's just what coaches are, are supposed to do. So, again, I, I don't need any more reasons to despise everything about Brian Kelly. But it is nice to have another one on the pile. Yeah, Absolutely. I think. I think we're just happy that, and not to make any Brian Kelly murder jokes, but we're just happy that... Um, Alleged. <laughs> I, I won't even Alleged. go any further than that. So just don't even go into it. I will say, yeah, it puts all the pressure on Ian Book when he comes to Chestnut Hill um, right. to outperform his mm-hmm. backup, who now has just everything to play for and will be, you know, if that's the one game he shows up for, it will be that one game, right? That's so, going to be the most heartbreaking... Yeah. When, when, when I'm going to say when. When the season gets canceled, that's going to be the most heartbreaking game that we're going to lose because that would be absolutely amazing. Like, especially if this was under normal times and you could have a full stadium. But this whole storyline would be like stuff they write college game day, you know, skits about. Oh, yeah. So, Sean, um, let me ask you this. So, obviously, he's brand new to the team and he didn't have the benefit of very many reps in spring practice, right? It was only a couple. Um, what is the process like for a quarterback to come in and get reps with the first team offense? And I know it's a new coach, so it's probably a little bit different from, you know, Dennis Grissel knowing the offense, right? Cause he's also starting from, from scratch pretty much, but how much stock do you put into Grissel having chemistry with the receivers and everyone shut up about his numbers? His numbers are, are what they are, but his numbers, he's a lot better than his numbers last year. I don't want to hear it. If you actually, if, I'll say this, if you normalize Den- and there's a hot take, if you normalize Denny Grissel no, numbers don't from do last this. year, He's a, don't top, do this. he's a top five ACC no. quarterback. Hold on, hold on. Don't God, do this. No. Denny Grissel has uh, familiarity. He's got some intangibles. He's got all sorts of things. Jerkovic is brand new. They only have a month to prep for the season. Is there a chance that Jericho won't be able to pick up the offense in time, or, or how does that work? They're both brand new. I mean, they have the new offensive coordinator, so the old system is not even in place. So everything is is pretty much a level playing field mm-hmm. i mean the rapport with the receivers for gross it, it, it pretty much doesn't mean anything because all the timing going on with the new office is going to be totally different from this run heavy play action deep ball type thing i think you know from my understanding it's going to be more of a pro style um it's going to be more balanced well we hope it's more balanced we don't have you know 12 guys in the box again <laughs> even <laughs> the coach in the box and it's just like you know so for me, like, you know, we only had one guy come in that was a new quarterback and that was Tyler Murphy. And he came in and immediately just, he was, a you know, a great personality. He worked hard. He was, you know, he, he really was a student of the game and he was right on. He was, he, he didn't skip a beat. So I believe 
you know, coming from where this kid came from, you know, Notre Dame, playing big time ball. I believe just hearing some interviews, hearing, you know, what some of the coaches have to say about him. He's definitely a leader. Um, he leads by his play. You know, I, I think he's going to be great. So as far as the learning curve, I believe that the offense is going to, with, with, with Coach Signetti, is going to be completely tailored to his game, which will be something around a Notre Dame type thing, a pro style. What I do like about this kid is I did watch a little bit of him. Um, there's limited staffs at Notre Dame, and I watched you know, some high school. I mean, the kid straight up is an elite, elite arm strength, and his, his running ability is amazing. Um, he's fluid. I mean, I wouldn't say he's explosive, but he's definitely fluid. When when the play breaks down, he's like exceptionally dangerous when the play breaks down. He's a pass-first guy, but he, he runs a little bit better than Anthony Brown did. Big arm. I mean, that's a reason why he had you know offers from all over the country, Clemson, OSU. You know, I, I just think that he just moves exceptionally well. And in, in the right offense, he's going to absolutely thrive. And he's going to elevate everyone's play around him. So I'm really excited to see what, what he brings to the table and more of a more of a balanced offense instead of a run first um, type deal. Well, and speaking of and speaking of the offensive weapons that uh, we now have to, to play around with, again, I know we talked about Jalen Gill, but what an absolutely massive transfer that is. Again, he was a he was a game changer at Ohio State. So what he'll be able to do against you know most of these ACC defenses is pretty remarkable. And when you think about our offense, which again last year and and really hasn't been that great in a while, relatively outside of you know the run game. But when we add in Jalen Gill on top of Kobe White, on top of Zay Flowers, on top of our tight ends, top of the best offensive line in the country, and if Jerko is I'd say even half the quarterback we all expect him to be. Like this offense is not even like under the radar loaded. It's just like flat out loaded. It's all of a sudden, I think, one of the best offensive units in the ACC. So it, it will be almost serendipitous if we finally have all the pieces come together and then we don't get a football season. But uh, either way, I'm super optimistic about about what we have to come, uh, whether it's this year or you know down the road. I, I don't think Jalen Gill is getting enough hype. And I think he's banged up currently. I don't think he's been involved in, in the, uh, the fall camp. Um, I think he's, he's getting through an injury. But he's, we're going to look back on this and we're going to be like, holy cow, this is one of the most impactful transfers we've had in a while. And it's not a position that we usually get a guy that's like a Percy Harvin type, right? We usually get the Rich Gannells and the Amadons who, you know, are certainly studs. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, these pure athletes, they just, they don't come to BC. It doesn't happen, right? And so I'm interested to see where, they, where they're going to line him up. Obviously, like you said, we got Zay who's showing out in camp. We got Kobe who's got the most reliable hands in the ACC. Uh, you know, if we line him up in the Z, we got Hunter Long that's coming across the middle. You know, he's doing the tight end posts. We got a lot of weapons for Denny Grissel or Djokovic, depending on who, <laughs> who wins the job. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about Gill as well. And I, I, I can't wait to see what he does. Like you said, he didn't really get a, a, a fair shot at Ohio State. They got too many weapons there. But uh, I think he's going to be one of the go-to guys here, obviously. It goes without saying. I love you. I love you throwing out all those uh, different formations. Have you been playing a good amount of Madden uh, in the quarantine here, it feels <laughs> yeah, like? Yeah, exactly. That's, you nailed it. Yeah. That works. Um, so moving just quickly into the recruiting side of it, it's not a surprise that Halfley continues to light it up, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There's been a number of, of big recruits that we've gotten over, you know, power five, seemingly left and right pretty much every day at this point. But the obvious cornerstone so far is Clinton Burton Jr. 
who was committed to Florida, Halfley flipped him, and immediately, according to ESPN, uh, is BC's highest recruit ever. I feel like that's throwing some shade to Brian Toll, but I don't know, maybe like the ESPN ratings weren't back by then, but... Uh, I had Sean a tweet prepared to, get- to to shut ESPN up, and they corrected it shortly thereafter. They've only been keeping those stats since like 2012 or something, or maybe 2008. But okay. Brian Toll was a better recruit. Don't get me wrong. To- but Toll is, would be for sure, right? I guess who yeah. else would we have? Who else would we have? I guess that would that would beat that. Toll would. He Toll, has to be one, right? yeah, I. It's on 24. At least in the modern era. But, but yeah, Toll Toll by far is the, is the biggest. But he's the biggest since Toll, so it's obviously you know high praise. Sean, I guess from you being the only one who's played high level football, period, let alone. Hey. Uh, no offense, Matt, uh, let alone in the defensive backfield, anything jump out to you? Have you been able to watch this guy's tape or just like talk to other coaches? Like, what are we, what are we getting here beyond the obvious, which is you know obviously incredibly impressive, a, a four star flip from the SEC. Like, what are you, what are you most excited about, uh, with this guy? Well, first and foremost, just watching the kids tape. There's definitely a reason why he has all, you know, first of all, committed to Florida had all those SEC offers, Bama offers. I mean, the kid is the real deal. Sometimes you go into this and obviously health is always, always on the table. You know, guys can stay healthy, but, you know, just from, you know, a 10,000 foot view, the kid is an absolute real deal. He's just a massive get from the DMV, which historically has um, top notch football, especially um, at the high school level. So it's actually nice to see somebody at that type of high school level that's top notch, you know, really, really look like a man amongst boys, you know, in one of the best places to play in the country. He's definitely going to be the centerpiece of BC's class in defense, I think, for the foreseeable future. He's definitely going to be used as a recruiting tool for Coach Hathley and Coach Abdul Rahim, which I think we need to get a GoFundMe for, the, for that guy to go, <laughs> Seriously. To go ahead, and, to go ahead and, and retain him because he's been doing, you know, him and him and Hathley um, together are just absolutely stalwarts at recruiting. And he's been a proven guy that can go ahead and um, – you know, at least close on these guys. And um, he's proven that he can close those deals. And actually, there's actually a fellow four-star, um, this guy, Damon David, from the same area. He's also a four-star. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, you know, BC's in on that. I know he made the last few, but Oklahoma just had a couple of commits. They might not have room for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if we could get him, him on there. But as for uh, Clint Burton, you know, the kid just on tape, his feet are absolutely amazing. You know, he has very, very good feet. His upper body's quiet. Um, his fundamentals are just absolutely very, very polished for someone coming out of high school. You know, he breaks in the ball really, really well. He doesn't take any false steps. What I loved about him is his instincts and ball skills are really good. I know um, he could he could have played some balls in, you know, deep in the air a little bit better, but as far as, uh, you know, as far as in phase with receivers, I didn't really see any receivers running by him. His hips are real fluid. Um, I also love, especially with kids that size. I mean, he has good he has good height, but he is a little bit on the lighter side. He can fly. But what I really, really loved about him as well is his physicality in the run game for a smaller guy. There's room to grow there in the weight room. I think being in a college weight room is going to help him. But I just think that he does very, very well in the run game. He controls blockers. He, he sheds blocks really well, and he's very, very uh, aggressive and ferocious tackling. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be playing really, really early. I think he's a day one starter. I mean, all things the same with no injuries. If not, if we really have that good a depth at the defensive back, there's definitely going to be room for him in, in some package-type deals, You know, whether it's covering – you know, a Z and moving a bigger DB, maybe inside or something, but there's going to be room for him, I think, day one. And, um, 
I mean, just judging by what, what I saw on tape, I, I think he could be a guy that plays on Sundays. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I don't obviously have the keen eye that you do. Um, I watched his tape, and I don't want to say, like, I didn't get it. I, obviously, he's a stud. He's got all the measurables and all that, and he's it's almost effortless what he does in coverage. And I think the other thing, too, is, like, in high school, I'm sure that his receivers weren't getting the ball an awful lot, so I don't think there was a lot of tape to judge judge him on. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that he's a stud, and I think it's it's a testament to Halfley, and obviously this doesn't happen without Halfley and the Akuda and Damon Arnett effect of, the, of you know those guys going early in the first round, and uh, you know it just it, it's uh, Abdurrahim as well. I mean he he's proven to be you know obviously one of the you know the key assistant coach that that came along. So you know if we can keep this going, it'll be interesting to see what happens with you know call it, you know Brandon Sebastian this year, right? can happily elevate him so that he's in the elite echelon of, uh, of ACC defensive backs, right? And if he can keep that going, then this will continue to be a pipeline. Not that it already isn't. I mean, the recruits that we have uh, in the D-back position are nuts uh, for the next three years, it seems like. But, uh, uh, you know, it's great that we're, we're getting back to DBU, and I think it's far past what, we'll, what, what we were under you know, even Coach Camp and, and beyond. So if that's a position that we're good and we're all set with for the, you know, the long term, Obviously, we saw this past season what happens when you don't have that figured out, right? And uh, so, definitely exciting. Uh, you touched on recruiting, Matt. Uh, that was obviously the big one. There was another one, Jalen Williams, who was another quarter cornerback who held the Texas offer. We just locked him in this week. There was also a trio of Catholic Memorial guys that committed the class of twenty uh, class of twenty twenty three. Uh, so, you know, clearly Halfley's building that fence around Massachusetts. That's great to see. And, you know, overall, we're in, what, the 37, 38 range uh, overall. Top 40, yeah. Which is a great place for us to be and uncharted waters for us for, over at least the last decade. Uh, so, obviously, talent is – it's better to have talent than have less than good talent. So, if we can keep that going, uh, excited about, you know, what the next five years look like in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just say, again, I think we've now mentioned it pretty much every day, but thank God we have Halfley in this coaching staff, especially in light of some recent news that has come out of Colorado uh, regarding Steve Adazio no, and I'll the former staff. I'll well, take before, this one, Matt. Hang on, I want you we're to gonna, politicize it. I'm not. I'm not. But before we – so two things before we get into the courtroom. First of all, you mentioned it in the open. We are now formally known as the Lot of Dudes podcast. We're keeping with the Fourth and Dude brand name just because it's a pain to change everything. But we have a new logo that has removed Steve Adazio's likeness and uh, what's the other thing? Oh, we're working on a new podcast name. We've got a couple leaders in the clubhouse. But for now, and we're trying we're to just destroy a all lead. koozies that we made in prior years with Adazio's <laughs> face on them. So we're trying yes to collect no. those. If you have one, yeah. please choose a DM. We'll come collect those are, it. Those are collector's items. Um, but again, this is a this is going to be a legitimate, a serious uh, episode, uh, edition of Duteous Corpus. But before we head into the courtroom, a couple quick ads. So again, just a reminder about Bet Online. Again, as sports continue to come back, we just, as speaking, by the way, we just lost our NHL parlay in the opening night of the uh, first round, which is a bummer. Matt Calgary one, which is big for you. But again, it is your chance to bet on them with exclusive wagering partner in BetOnline.ag. Like we said, NHL, MLB, NBA, everything is back. No shortage of ways to get on the action. Bet online has all the odds, futures, and props. And again, like we mentioned, uh, keep an eye out for the Floyd Money Mayweather podcast. The ice is right. Uh, he joins the Bet Online team to talk about his jewelry collection. You have the chance to win some great prizes from him. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up to date sports mo- news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet online, your online wagering experts. And Matt, one of our favorite advertisers, is back for yet another round. 
2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing you can control, and that is keeping your body's mane under control. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through your body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. Matt, I know that's big for you. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your boys. Matt, we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing yourself in public. Go to manscaped.com, check out some of these life-changing products. Listeners of the show will get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Matt, it's so good to have them back. But I think with that, any comments before we get into the courtroom? It's a heck of a segue for Manscaped, which is, you know, the ultimate tools for guys being dudes. We're going to talk about the head dude uh, right now. And let's go into the courtroom for a special edition Duteous Corpus, Stephen Adazio edition. All right. So, you guys all know, unless you've been living under a rock, the past week or so has been a tough one for our guy Daz. Uh, last Wednesday, there were reports of Daz engaging in a COVID-19 cover-up. There was claims that he was not reporting positive test results. He was seen in multiple instances not wearing a mask. That was pretty bad, but it went from bad to worse pretty quickly uh, on Friday when there were allegations of verbal abuse and racism that came out at Colorado State. Uh, So the university has officially launched an investigation into all of the above, and our boy Steve Adazio uh, is in some hot water. And as it goes in situations like this, you know, you you have to wait for the investigation to play out. Uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty, all that. But also, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire type of thing, right? Uh, we have seen some some current players come out that are refuting some of the reports. And, you know, all this is not necessarily new to us, although this is certainly t- from a new level to the tough guy, Daz, that we know and, and used to somewhat like, some of us. You know, we know he's a tough and abrasive guy. There was always some, you know, reports of some weird stuff going on in the locker room when it comes to coaches fighting, some favoritism with Louie, etc. throwing the headset on the, on the sidelines. But, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a whole new level and what's going on in Fort Collins right now is is no good for Steve right now. So... Obviously, Sean, you played under Steve for a couple years. Any reaction to what's going on for Fort Collins? Any, you know, firsthand experiences you feel like sharing? Just would love to get your thoughts on this. Well, I'm going to speak for me and I'm going to speak for probably a lot of guys that I played with. <laughs> probably looked at this and was not surprised in the least bit um, with any of these allegations. I cannot directly speak to, you know, the racism because um, I just don't feel like I have the right or know anything about, um, you know, that or, you know, how he treated, um, you know, the players of color on our team. I can speak to, you know, all of the allegations I was reading 
from coaches, you know, the nepotism uh, with his son. I can speak to that. And it, all the allegations that I saw with the quotes from staff from players, it just seemed to be a little, you know, eerily similar to how it was at the Heights. And I think that hiding in plain sight is hitting the nail on the head because he is sort of a imposing figure that really, really uses intimidation and his, um, you know, power in the program to kind of intimidate you to the way of, you know, you're not going to report any of this intimidation or any of, of that um, because you don't want to lose your job. You don't want to, you know, lose your scholarship or anything like that. So those scare tactics um, are somewhat normalized in the locker room, in the meeting room, not to get crazy in depth here. I personally saw just the way he treated his staff in the meeting rooms, the way he talked to certain people, you know, like I said, it was normalized for us and it was a big, you know, whatever happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Whatever happens in the meeting room stays in the meeting room because we're a family. Um, whether that's right, wrong or different, that's what we're taught. You know, in some cases that works, in some cases it doesn't. I just know from some people that worked with him, he's not the easiest person to get along with. Me personally as a player, um, wasn't the easiest to get along with. Um, it's more of his way or the highway. I was involved actually with, um, you know, the Josh Guy situation where, you know, we were left tickets at a game and, you know, from Will Call and, you know, we weren't allowed to the stadium because of some things that some players, you know, spoke up about, you know, that, that we felt passionate about. And it was former players too. Um, just didn't really invite the alumni back as much as, you know, on the flip side, Halfley, you know, holding his conferences saying, Hey, you know, you guys are always welcome back. We need more engagement with former players when you get that back versus, you know, it was the opposite. If, if he liked you and if you were a yes man and agreed with everything that he did, whether it was through scare tactics, intimidation, whether it was through any of those tactics, um, some people were just flat out scared to do anything and, you know, and, and kind of had their voice in silence a little bit. So are these allegations true? I have no idea, but I'm going to go ahead and say that some of the things that were quoted from staffers, some of the things that were quoted from some of the players, you know, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, I personally did. I'm not surprised that those are well, those are happening, and it sounds very eerily similar to what happened on the Heights. Yeah, I'll say I'll say that the my main takeaway here, especially with the with the COVID stuff. When he's basically saying, you know, whatever, behind the scenes, it's not really a big deal. We'll be fine. Don't wear a mask or whatever. It was eerily reminiscent. If you guys remember his thoughts on the solar eclipse, I think two years ago, I don't have the official quote here, but it was something along the lines of like, I'm going to stare right at it. If it's so dangerous, why don't all the animals who don't know any better to look at it just drop dead when they look up in the sky? And I think that was a, a bit of a watershed moment when it came to Stevie science. And at that point, I think we should have dropped all of our all of our even expectations that he would he would even remotely be able to handle a, a pandemic with with any amount of uh, of decency. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be clear. It, it does seem that, you know, again, like you said, Matt, where there's smoke, there's fire and the whole media darling image that he did curate. And maybe just because he had a couple good relationship with the ESPN guys or whatever. But, you know, people love talking about, oh, you know, he's just you know being the dude or going out to eat in the North End was always their segment on like the ACC game day show it does seem like now that is starting to, to fade pretty quickly. And everyone at a minimum is acknowledging that he is, you know, at best case, an equal opportunity asshole. So uh, it, it is a little bit interesting how, how much has changed really from the time he got the job 
to now, but I think with the Mountain West canceling football, it is kind of teeing them up and just giving them an easy excuse to be like, all right, look, you're just never going to coach a game here and let's move on. Right. And, and there's a lot of Daz defenders that, that used to be out there who are going to rename, remain nameless um, <laughs> that used to say. Did those Daz uh, defenders also think last year's defense was the best defense in the history of Boston uh, College? Well, I just want to know what the Venn diagram context. looks like. That was after the Virginia yeah. Tech game. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I, Sean and I, we spoke about this offline, right, where it's like, all right, all college football coaches, especially successful ones, are to some degree kind of an asshole, right? You talk about Nick Saban, you talk about Bill Belichick, and, uh, you know, you go down the list. A lot of these guys are wired a little bit differently. They don't do the social stuff, right? And maybe don't come off as well to the media as they should. And so I kind of brought that up just playing devil's advocate. It's like, yeah, you know, Steve, obviously, he had a rough relationship with the media for, you know, the most of the reason, most of the time he was in Chestnut Hill. But, you know, it seemed like from the celebrations in the locker rooms after the big wins, right, becoming bowl eligible after USC, it seemed like the players really liked him. And he had, you know, he was kind of this O-line whisperer and you, you maybe didn't get him all the time, but he had a way of how players, you know, sort of loved him. It seemed like you could kind of make that argument if you were stretching a little bit um, and, and you kind of you let me know that wasn't really the case. You know, it's sort of a different brand of asshole, right? So uh, I, I'll get off my horse on, on Steve, Steve Adazio. I don't have all the facts here, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when the investigation does come out, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens with that. But he's probably done in, in Fort Collins and potentially in coaching uh, altogether. Yeah, to bring it back to the courtroom, I will say, again, the jury is is out on the, on the official allegation just because, again, like you said, it is too soon, and there have been some – Differing reports, but in the court of public opinion, he is 100% guilty. And I think that, frankly, yeah, like you said, is enough to end his career in coaching for sure. And even Dent, I would say, potentially his his career in, in media, which I think even at his worst days in Boston College, we all were like, well, regardless of what happens in football, he's going to be, you know, a job as an analyst on on the marquee ACC, uh, you know, ACC on ESPN game starting, you know, next week. So uh, definitely interesting times. I think we... we Clearly made the right choice to move on when we did. Yeah, he's just the type of guy that thinks he's that thinks he's just straight up tougher than COVID. So like right, completely, I just completely. Think, I just think that you know I can just picture him going out there without a mask and just like sticking his chin out and say he wants to fight COVID. If you don't, you know, if, you know, if you have symptoms and stuff, you're just not tough enough. Right. I can just see him doing that. Um, now to call him a racist or anything like that, I'm you know I don't have a mouthpiece for that. But, you know, as far as being insensitive, you know, intimidating and insulting, not only players, but, you know, staff itself, definitely, definitely, um, (laughs) he's definitely speaking to that because he, he definitely is all those things. And it's just one of, it's just one of those things as he's the head coach and, you know, if you want to play, you have to, you know, stand down and just kind of take it. Um, So, you know, hopefully... The investigation, you know, comes out with some sort of, uh, you know, verdict, if you will. And but I just don't think it looks good over there. I agree. All right. Well, let's put the past in the past and let's uh, let's focus on uh, what's new. And that is Coach Halfley and the Eagles. And uh, we got a couple topics left to cover. We got fall camp starting up as well as the schedule that came out in the ACC. Um, But let's start with, with some of the news that's come out in fall camp. Obviously, that started up Thursday of last week. Um, as of today, which is re- recording Tuesday night, they have five practices under their belt. You know, these practices have been close to the media, but uh, BC, Jason Baum, shout out. Uh, they've done a great job putting putting together these cool post-practice reports where you can see. They're kind of like these pop-up books. 
That's what I call them. I don't know. That's a like, great. That's a great yeah. comparison. I've been looking for the word. That's that's it right you there. You scroll down and somewhat, you know, Zay Flowers jumps out at you, right? And you can see, you know, the lines blocking and all that. It feels like you're there, kind of. But you know, we are seeing some some, some early reports of who's impressing, and it's the usual suspect. It is guys like Zay Flowers who you know, is catching these bombs every day from De- from Denny Grissel and I guess Jerkovic too. I'm just kidding. All the quarterbacks are playing well. You get guys like Levy and Garwo that are ripping off runs. You know, those guys are going to be great complimentary pieces. David Bailey, Sheeta Salaz, we mentioned a lot. McDuffie seems to be back to his old self. Um, you know, in general, it does seem like a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the stars are aligning. That We know the line's going to be fine. And, you know, it, it's just, we're starting to get, and I hate that we're getting sort of suckered into this. You know, we're starting to get excited about what this team's going to look like, only for the rug to be pulled out from uh, from under us inevitably. Um, but it is fun to watch that, you know, we do appear to have some playmakers on both sides of the football. And it's going to be interesting going forward, uh, you know, what the depth chart looks like and how the rest of fall camp goes, assuming that continues. Yeah, I just want to, I'm, I'm just, I have nothing really to add here because I think it's been pretty optimistic, but I do want to uh, just echo your call that Nantucket bomb and all of the guys on the creative team need, give these guys a raise. Like the difference in content that's coming out from the BC football accounts and just like all the general BC Eagles accounts from now, even from like two, three years ago is night and day. Like it's big time. And Sean, I know you mentioned the last time we were on, but like that stuff that like recruits care about. Um, but also just as fans, it's like awesome to see. So love what those guys are doing. Hope this continues. But you're absolutely right, Matt. We have our hopes way too high. And the reality is that we'll be lucky if we get a season. But if we do, this is a national championship winning offense. That's kind of where I'll, where I'll leave that for now. Yeah, I definitely think on, on the, you know, the first time in a long time, you know, we're just excited about the offense and like the pieces they have. Usually it's kind of spearheaded by the defense and what we have there. What's really, really, really making me excited about this is I feel like, you know, outside of the, you know, starting 11 on both sides, I'm feeling like we're getting a sense of some depth, which for the past, God, 15 years, maybe even back to, you know, getting closer to the early uh, 2000s, you know, and I'm looking at the 03 to 07 teams with, with Matt Ryan. I mean, those teams were loaded, but they were loaded even in the 2D, even 3D. I'm starting to get that feel again. Um, you know, I might have some delusions of grandeur on that, like you guys said, but I just really feel that even outside of our, you know, outside of our first running back, we have a couple on there. Then we have, you know, we have a quarterback uh, competition, finally. You know, we have an O-line that, um, you know, on paper, you know, looks to be one of the better O-lines in all of college football. You know, the offensive side of the ball is very, very exciting to me. And I think it's the first time that it's been that way in a long time at BC. What's really making me excited, like I said, is just the depth that we have that, you know, if a Zay Flowers goes down, God forbid, you know, maybe Jalen and Kobe can handle the load, get Hunter Long involved. Um, you know, we're not going to be crippled if somebody goes down because I feel like we just have a little bit more pieces that can be, um, you know, serviceable, if not, you know, maybe get a young guy that, you know, comes out of the shell and plays. And then we have, you know, for the next year, even more depth and just challenge those people. So I'm, I'm just really excited. I mean, I hope I don't get a Cleveland Browns of last year type, um, <laughs> exactly. uh, type deal on paper, but you know, guys, I, I just think we're going to be really, really dangerous. And um, I, I just think it all starts from, uh, you know, the defense, obviously. But the offense, I feel like it's the first time in a long time that we can get excited about them. Well, and, and, you know, and hopefully I, everyone I, can stay healthy. Right. Iron sharpens iron, I think, is, is how it's supposed to go, right? I mean, if you have a good offense, and Brandon Sebastian had a really good post-practice quote on this, where he's basically like, 
you know, we have a really solid offense. It's a great offensive line. We got, you know, really solid quarterbacks and, and skill players back there. And, you know, we're starting to throw the ball around. And that's making us better as a defense, right? Kind of kind of firing a shot at Daz. I don't know what the practice was like if it was just, you know, <laughs> halfback dives up the middle, right? I mean, but, hey, our linebackers were great because they were just stacking the box against AJ. So that was kind of the extent of it, I think. Exactly. But Brady Sebastian, I mean, you say, you know, for the first time, we're finally getting a chance to see some live reps in the, in the, in the throw game, right? And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the better offense you have, that's who you're going up against every day in practice, that's going to make you better, as, as I'm sure you can allude to, you know, trying to tackle Tyler Murphy or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Hilleman. Who, who else was there in your day? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, well, it was Andre Williams. Miles Willis? Andre, Andre yeah, Williams? Well, Andre, yeah, Andre Williams. Miles Willis. Um, even like Taj Kimball used to be really, really shifty. Deuce Finch, all those guys. Amidon, Amidon and Swagger. Yeah, don't sleep on those guys. Amidon, Shaq Phillips twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Special um, teams the second time around. <laughs> you know, a guy. You know, one of you know my roommate Bobby Swagger, who would have been a guy if you know he didn't get injured. Um, he was probably the best receiver we had. Um, it was just really, really sad what happened to him in his career. But um, you know, what a great kid. It just, I, I really think he would have been an absolutely astronomical you know, receiver, if he could have stayed healthy and I've um, been a guy that could have played on Sundays for sure. But yeah, it, I mean, the practices, it, it makes all the difference. If these guys, you know, guys, we don't, no normal team runs, you know, 10 guys on the line and, and, you know, running outside zone and, and guts and all that all practice. That's what we were going against. I mean, we were just getting pounded all practice. You know, if Coach Signetti is going out there and tossing the tossing the rock around, it's going to make everybody better. It's going to make, you know, the pass rushers better. Um, it's going to make the linebackers forced to cover instead of banging their heads. Um, it's going to be more of a semblance of what you're going to get, get it week in and week out versus, you know, having, you know, a jumbo set in there and, and just smashing outside zones and stuff. So um, it's going to be interesting, and I'm, I'm just really excited for uh, – you know what these guys are going to do next year and uh i just hope we have a season yeah i hear you um speaking of the season again we're running out of time but we definitely want to run through the schedule release so i'll give my thoughts first matt i'll save i know you've got a a, a quite a rant that uh you've been talking with us about on the irish so i will save that for you but uh my thoughts just kind of off the bat here is is that this is a really nice schedule that works out well for us and is not nearly as terrifying as i think a lot of people thought it would be when we originally, you know, said, okay, 10 ACC games or, you know, the plus one or whatever. So assuming we can fill out our plus one with a, I'll call it a winnable game, something like Ohio, whether that's, I think, Air Force or one of the other service academies, Navy would be tough, but, you know, Army, or even if we go, you know, diving for some other power five teams that have canceled uh, their program, even if it's in Nebraska or something like that, I think we can start with two winnable games. We've got Duke. Uh, you know, in the in the second game, and they're by no means you know anyone I think for us to be afraid of. By week before, we have UNC, who is I would say the darling of the ACC this year. Everyone is so high on them, and I won't say for good reason, but for okay reason. Like I think they're gonna you know I think we'll be an underdog in that game, but certainly it's it's not Clemson and it's not even Notre Dame. And then from there, we've got Pitt and Virginia Tech, two teams we beat last year. Georgia Tech, who no one's afraid of. Clemson on the road, which is just unfortunate to have to go back to back down there. Then we've got Cuse. Uh, again, another winnable game. Notre Dame, the Jerko revenge game. Louisville, Virginia to finish it out. So I think when you look at it, you know, if if, if you were to uh, go to Vegas on all the games today, we would be clear underdogs in three of those, being Notre Dame, Clemson, and USC. Probably be officially underdogs in Hot Tech on the road. 
I said UNC. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned UNC. What did I say? You said USC, which is wrong. I that's a Connecticut accent. It was <laughs> UNC. Uh, we would definitely be underdogs at Virginia Tech on the road, but not a massive number, and probably at Virginia slightly, and maybe Louisville, but all toss ups. I would say. I think you're like you're right, right, like you're they're right not, on Louisville. I think they're going to okay. be they're going to be a really good team this year, and um, I put them in, in kind of the same tier as UNC, where both of them have you know, solid quarterback situations, a lot of skill players. Um, so to me, and I think you did a good job kind of splicing it up, but you get Clemson at the top, you get Notre Dame somewhere slightly below that. You got UNC Louisville, right? The, I guess the way I see it is, you know, you look at the top seven teams in the ACC and we're playing a hundred percent of those teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think your reaction was similar to a lot of others where it's, you know, it didn't really change that much. It's not that much hard of a schedule, but you look at a team like NC State who avoids Notre Dame and Clemson, like there's there's a way this could have gone a lot better for sure. us from a strength of schedule standpoint. Now, from a, the fan in me is like, all right, let's, you know, this is going to be fun. It's We're going to have a lot of, you know, high profile games and, you know, it's cool to, you know, play the Coastal once every seven, more than once every seven years. So, that, so that's cool too. But a tough situation, I think, overall for a first year head coach in a, in a reduced, you know, spring and summer situation. Fair, but I'll say honestly, the only game that I'm that I'm counting as a as a loss right now is Clemson. Again, like I said, we'll be underdogs elsewhere. But if you you know if you tell me we beat Notre Dame in a Jerkovich revenge game at home, or yep. we beat a, a potentially overhyped UNC at home week three, like. I will not be surprised. I'll go into all those games thinking we have a very legitimate shot, again, as of right now, with the exception of being at Clemson. So I think that it does ease in. I think you could be a lot worse from a momentum perspective. If you've got your first five games, you've got you know three very tough games, something like that. And then all of a sudden we're looking at you know one and four start and kind of how that can spiral. But I think especially, like I said, a big caveat that we get a winnable plus one to open the, the season on. Uh, September 12th. But if we can kind of ramp up with two games that we can win, I think that's just huge for kind of the confidence, not only of the players, but of Halfley and the staff to kind of keep things rolling by week before UNC and kind of let it run from there. I just think that Halfley, you know, the schedule definitely doesn't, you know, doesn't phase him at all. I mean, he just came from Ohio State. I mean, they face a buzzsaw all the time. So I just don't think that it's really, really going to matter for him. I think that going in, you know, I, I agree that Clemson's probably the only one that I could just chalk a loss up to. I don't think, you know, I, I think the revenge game for Notre Dame, you know, I think that we're going to go in there and, and we give, we're going to give them hell, especially at home. And then I believe that, you know, though UNC's quarterback, um, that freshman quarterback that lit it up last year, and they do have a receiver. I watched them in the bowl game, but I don't think their defense is any good. I think we can score points on them. I just think we're underestimating how many points we're going to put on people and how staunch our defense is going to be. Um, I believe we're going to we're going to give a lot of people fits, um, especially with no scouting report whatsoever. So it's going to be every week. I mean, God, they're going to have no, no idea what we're going to do. Um, especially for the first three weeks, I think playing, I think playing tougher teams in the first three, four weeks, it's going to be, you know, it's going to level the playing field even more because they're going to have zero tape on us. They don't know what we're going to do. They don't know what we're going to come out in. They don't know. They don't know what we're going to attack them with on defense. It's going to be similar to like the Virginia tech win last year. Um, our defense came out and they just, they just guessed wrong on what we're going to do. Um, you know, but then we go and lay against Kansas. So it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, it hurts that we're going to be playing those tough, tough teams to start out the season. But at the end of the day, they really don't have any clue of what, how we're going to attack them, what we're going to do. I think we're really underestimating this Jalen uh, Gill character. I mean, the kid was number 30, 
recruit in the whole, in the whole country. I mean, even better than this Clinton guy. So I, I think we're really underestimating this kid. I just don't didn't think he found his niche at Ohio State, which a lot of people don't. I mean, there's a lot of guys at UGA. There's a lot of guys at, LA, guys at LSU that just fizzle out because they don't have you know the right position or they're not. There's, there's, their talents aren't showcased in the right way. I believe it in this kid. I mean, just watching him play, the kid has, first of all, he's an H-back. He's not even a pure wide receiver. So I hope coach can get him, you know, somewhere in the slot, you know, maybe line him up across from Kobe, put Zay in the slot, um, you know, line the kid up in a split back, you know, gun type thing, you know, in the backfield, maybe do some like, you know, option reads with him. I think he's going to be more of that Percy Harvin type-esque fit for us which hopefully we can just give him the ball a lot because I, I think, I mean, just watching the little film I saw on him, the kid can run. He's a big kid. He, he's played in big time football. I think we're really underestimating what we're going to do. And, um, you know, in and of itself with the, with, with the stadiums not being full, it's going to level the playing field with people just underestimating us going to level the playing field. And then with the coaching staff being advanced and a little bit more, um, I just think better than we've ever had. I believe that it's going to put us leaps and bounds um, ahead of a lot of people. And I think that people are going to get taken off guard of how good and prepared this coaching staff is going to be game in and game out with a great plan to put these kids in the best spot. That's I'll, I'll say that's remarkably uh, comforting to hear Matt and I pretty much every year always predict like 11 and one, 10 and two, 12 and zero. <laughs> but Hearing that, hearing that optimism and and you know general excitability come from someone who I think we'll we'll consider an expert here as a as a former sort of uh, you know, someone, <laughs> so again you were round we, we might round up but again in terms of, of the fourth and dude world you are uh, a bigger expert than anyone we've even gotten near so I will take that as as an expert opinion and honestly that's phenomenal to hear and fully in line where I think I'd put this at like I said I would say nine and two is is very realistic uh, in all seriousness <laughs> and I will also say that if you look at uh, a lot of the ESPN reporters, the athletic, like all their early predictions, they're having us finish like dead last. We'll be lucky to win two games. Those people are morons. Like you can say I'm being crazy, optimistic, nine wins, whatever. But worst case, we'll be right around 500 like we always are. Right. Like the ACC is just yeah. not that good of a conference. So that's my opinion on it. Uh, Matt, I will let you, uh, I will now tee offer. I know something you've been excited to talk about throughout the entire show, which is, of course, more Brian Kelly and your general uh, feelings about all things Notre Dame right now. You know what, Matt? It's funny. Like, I had this whole Notre Dame rant typed out and I was all ready to go, but, you know, and, and I'll get into it a little bit, but really, my heart's not even in it. Like, if John Swafford can somehow navigate these waters and have the ACC play football, no harm, no foul. But, I am mad at him in the meantime <laughs> um, that he basically allowed Notre Dame to walk all over him. They, Notre Dame pretty much said, hey, guys, uh, we're independent and we need help. Can you help us out? We're not going to give you anything really of material value. We'll give you a very small portion of the TV revenue. That's an immaterial amount for on a per team basis, whatever. No sort of long term contingencies or, or commitments lined up as a result of that. But and it's, it's just optically it's Notre Dame's getting whatever they want and I know that their you know superiority complex or whatever they love that and everyone's saying we can do whatever we want we're a special case you guys need us more than you know we need you type of thing and I hate it it makes me sick but all is forgiven if Swafford goes through we have full ACC football season 
I'm on board whatever. He can be, you know, he can, he, Notre Dame can join the conference. They can not join the conference. I don't care. Brian Kelly can do whatever. I don't care. Let's just don't, play football. Don't kill any more people, though. Can we say that's that? Our, that's the one rule. Alleged, that's the one allegedly. rule. Allegedly. Allegedly, no more, no more manslaughter. Uh, I mean, the only thing I'll say is that if, if, and it's a big if, the ACC and the SEC and even the Big 12 play, and Notre Dame doesn't, like, that would be not devastating by any means because the Notre Dame brand, like, will survive. But, like, we talked about what that would do for a program to sit out, whether it's recruiting or interest or whatever. Like, that would be massive. And we did not need to give them, uh, you know, this olive branch. I think that uh, it, it clearly, you know, buffs up the ACC schedule. And, again, like you said, TV money and all that. But, like, we didn't need to do it. If we're playing football and one of 30 teams playing football, like that's that's enough for the TV revenue and for the general excitement of the season. So I, I, I agree overall that the bottom line is if it helps us get football, great. But it is unnecessary. And it's just annoying. I hate Notre Dame. It's annoying. Like we had, it's just we annoying. had leverage. We didn't use it. We being the right. ACC. And, right. you know, just yeah, but why, yeah, but at the, at the end of the day, like, why would you keep them out? I mean, it's only going to strengthen you know, it's going to give us more credibility as a whole conference, which the conference is, you know, for lack of a better word, been the shitter the past couple of years besides Clemson. Um, well, but it was I mean, more, this I, was more I, our I chance. Like, this was more our chance to get them in, I feel like, right? Like, this was our chance to be like, look, you guys want to play. We need a commitment. And now you're the It's ACC. just bad Boom. optics. It's yeah. like, we're going to throw them a life raft. They're going to give us nothing in return and they're going to walk all right. over us. That's all it is. I agree that I'm glad we're playing them and it'd be great to have them long term. I'm just pissed. They can do whatever they want. It's more the fans. The fans that you meet in the tailgate lots that, you know, didn't, it's just, it's annoying. It's, that's more. It it definitely is, but maybe that could be restructured after the season if they get a season, because there's no way to get into the college football playoff without playing in that conference. It's just playing independently all, you know, right. You know, if they went independent and if they just wanted to pick SEC teams or something, there's nowhere to get into it. They already have kind of a blemished college football appearance, you know, persona about them. I think that, after this, like maybe, you know, like you said, the life raft, I think maybe after if they just wanted to join our conference, it would just be better for the conference and better for us to go ahead and beat them every year. Yeah, there is that element, too, that if, if you know, they talk all the time about how it's such a hard strength schedule when they're not in a conference and like everyone else is like, well, if you guys were in a conference, you'd get destroyed. Yeah. If, if they can go like seven and four this year or worse, that would just be so sweet to shut up all of the Notre Dame yes. fans who just are all about like the brand. So there is a risk there from their perspective and a, and a potential reward on our side. But I think, uh, again, with the ACC being as bad as it is, are they, they have Clemson, right? Clemson's on their card. Yeah. Yes, they didn't make they it, right. they didn't so make it a, a free path forward for Notre Dame, which is, right. which is good, right? They still have to beat some of the big dogs. So I just really don't want to see them in the ACC team. championship game. They're, they, yeah. Yeah. So it, we'll, we'll see, but I, I agree if, if we can, even give them four or five losses, that would almost uh, be worth it in entirety. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, breaking news hot off the press that may help a little bit. It sounds like the Big 12 is interested in playing football. That is big for the ACC and the SEC as the swing vote that you mentioned earlier. Um, again, this is probably going to be not relevant when this uh, goes to, to press time, when we actually post this to the feed. Uh, but as of now, we're playing football as far as we know, and that's all that matters at this point. All right, we'll, we'll keep it. rolling. And and by the way, the Blue Jackets and Lightning are about to finish up the fourth overtime. So oh the Bruins God. might not play till like, the Bruins literally might not play, start playing till like one o'clock tonight. So it oh uh, could be a late one. Good news is that gives me more time to edit it. And we can get it out this morning cool. uh, or this coming morning. And all of this information that we've discussed will, will still be relevant. So anything else that, that we want to add, Matt, or do we want to we wrap it up? 
I think I think we covered a lot of ground there, folks. And, uh, and like we said, we got more episodes yeah. coming as long as the season's still in existence. Uh, we do want to break down the depth chart. We want to do a more detailed dive into uh, into the schedule and break down each opponent and put some uh, some season predictions together. So all that will be forthcoming uh, in the coming weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, like we said at the open, there is so much changing every minute. But for now, we have BC football to look forward to and. All we can hope is that it stays that way and everyone continues to stay healthy and do the right things like Halfley & Co. has been has been leading so far. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Bet Online, Manscaped, as well as the guys over at Eagle Insiders. They're keeping us fully up to date on the constant news cycle on top of their nonstop recruiting coverage. They're an absolute must subscribe for any BC fans out there. I think it's like 10 bucks a month and it's, I would say, in terms of all of my monthly subscriptions, probably the best value I get. Um, so definitely give them, give them a look. As always, follow us on Twitter. And Instagram at Fourth and Dude. I say this every show. One of these times, we're going to start doing more Instagram content. We're just not there yet. But for now, our Twitter's pumping out. You and I are kind of dinosaurs in the social media. I think game. We like, Sean. We like Sean should probably take over. We'll give. We like. Yeah, Sean's yeah. a big Instagram guy, so we I might. Can, have to, we might have to hand the keys. I can do, yeah, I can take over the Instagram. I can get that going. Yeah, we, we might. Have, we might have to hand over the keys because we've been saying now for for three years to follow us on Instagram. Yeah. We'll have more stuff coming, so we'll see what comes there. But uh, thanks again for listening. Hopefully, all of this information is is still relevant. Time you guys did listen but tell you what boys fingers crossed we're talking again soon and we still have a season to discuss so uh sean thanks as always for joining and uh yeah let's hope for the best get in folks I got no pick up lines, I stay